Uh, let's go before the Lord and ask him to teach us and inform us and equip us. Father, thank you for the blessedness of being your children. Thank you for the beautiful air today when it was unexpected. Thank you for answering those prayers. Open our eyes for what you have for us today. To you be all glory. Amen. So we're continuing in our sermon series, Let It Rain. It's out of Matthew. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We've done the Beatitudes. Now we're more into the sermon proper. Why are we doing this sermon series? We're doing it because of the culture and the environment surrounding us right now. Back in June, I was praying and asking the Lord, give us what we need for all that's going on around us. Take us to a scripture that will inform us so well about how to live in the craziness of 2020. Amen? By the way, it's okay to say amen. I know last week I went on a tirade about amen. I'm an, I don't fit in the non-amen group. It's just you can do a right on, you can do a preach it, you can do it where you can do an amen. I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm fearful that some of you think I'm anti-amen, but I'm not. This is just like, I feel like I'm getting back to my Baptist roots. And the whole youth group is back there in the back of the church. I guess like being called the youth group back there. You like that? Turn to Matthew 5. I received an email from our district superintendent, Neil Brower, this week. And Neil will be here the last Sunday of the month preaching during the month of Shocktober. And uh, if you don't know what Shocktober is, you're going to know by the end of today. Well, Neil sent me and all the other pastors in our district some encouraging words, knowing how tough 2020 has been. And and just wanting to love on us a little bit. And so he has a list of all the things that pastors might be struggling with. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to use this as a precursor because when I got done reading this list, I so fit well within what Jesus was speaking about uh, and, and the text we're going to look at today concerning anger. And the title of the sermon today is Anger Issues. And we have sermon notes somewhere. Um, Christy, where do we have sermon notes? They're coming. So if you want some sermon notes when Christy comes back, just raise your hand. There's sermon notes and there's life group notes on the back of that. They're at the kiosk. <laughs> They're at the kiosk, but she's bringing them. Yeah. So here's what Neil shared with me and the other pastors in our district that ended up giving me some anger issues when I got done reading it. He said, you may have struggled with the following so far in 2020. Well, the leading story, right? COVID-19, death, sickness, the global implications of all of that, sheltering in, social distancing, mask wearing as a lifestyle. <laughs> I don't even like to say that. <laughs> Gathering restrictions, online tech, you know how many pastors have to be experts now in tech areas? And, and they didn't teach us that in, in seminary, right? Not only that, now in, in the recent months here in the Bay Area, we've had to become experts in, in uh, particles per million and air quality registrations. I know where every air quality station is within a half mile radius of our church. Never thought I'd have to do that, right? Uh, what about economic collapse, unemployment, 
finances, racial tensions, violence, riots, divisions, loneliness, isolation, depression, addiction, suicide, Supreme Court nominees, presidential election, evangelical reputation, constitutional crisis, and not to be left out, smoke. That's just pertaining to us here in the Bay Area, or Oregon, or Washington. So did any of you have the visceral response I had when I got done reading all that? See, I've just been kind of plugging through, handling every day as the Lord gives it to me. But when you look at the aggregate, when you look at the focus, there's a lot to be angry about, isn't there? There's a lot to be angry about. So we're going to look at the text this morning. Turn to Matthew 5, 21 through 26. And I'm going to read it. Join with me. And as I do this, get ready to understand this. A continuation of thought. We break week in, week out, because we only have so much time. But Jesus preached all this in a continuation of thought. Remember when Jesus was preaching, a lot of what he just spoke about was the law. Remember that? We talked about the law and how Jesus completes and fulfills the law and transcends the law. He was mentioning that because of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And really addressing what was the giant elephant or camel in the room back in the day. And so he continues a little bit of that with this discussion about anger. Because there was much anger that was about to ensue by the Pharisees because their life was interrupted. Their power structure was interrupted. Their monopoly on the religious um, formation was interrupted. And so Jesus talks about how anger can affect us. So let me read this. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest you accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison truly i say to you you will never get out until you have paid the last penny this morning as we think about what makes us angry maybe there's things in that context that you can understand that bring memories to mind or maybe there's things right now but i don't want to assume i know what makes you angry so let's have some fun here. Let's just blurt out some things that have made you angry in the past. We're not doing any character assassination. You're not admitting that you're angry right now, just in the past. Or you know someone who's struggling with anger. What is it that causes anger? Some ideas. Unmet expectations. Unmet expectations, yes. Bosses. Bosses. My whole staff has that issue. <laughs> What, what, something over here? Impatience. Impatience. What else? Injustice. Injustice. I heard one back there. 
Oh, common sense makes me angry. I want everyone to be irrational. Yeah, that'd be great. The lack of common sense. Couple more. Jealousy. Jealousy. Yes. Kids. Kids. Just be honest, right? That's awesome. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Um, yes, you're right. Um, thinking about all that, think about this idea that when you heard that, those words from, from Christ himself, what words stood out to you? If you still have your scriptures open, what words stood out to you? He said a lot in there. First of all, let me just share real briefly on a, on a doctrine level, Theology 101, here you go. There are many who want to discount the doctrine that hell is a legitimate and real place. Does Jesus speak about hell in a, in a literal way here? Yes, Jesus himself speaks about hell and associates it with fire. Now the fire connected to that, you know, we just know that there will be suffering. So we can see that Jesus himself says that there's hell. He equates anger with what? Mordor. Yes. Murder. How many of you have ever been convicted of murder? Go ahead. Go ahead. Raise your hand. How many of you have ever been angry? Go ahead, raise your hand. How many of you kids have ever seen your parents? No, no, we're not going to ask that. <laughs> I watched a kid go like this, and mom went, bam! We're having fun. So how many of you ever think that you committed murder? And yet Jesus says what very clearly here? So we have to put some definition to this. Remember, I've shared with you already that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is using a literary form called hyperbole. He's trying to emphasize a point where we, we do what teenagers in church do, right? When it comes to uh, the dating question, how far can I go before I actually sin, right? You remember that one, right? And, and that's kind of how we choose to live. How much can I be angry towards my brother without actually murdering? I mean, I've never really thought about it in those terms. But why is it Jesus takes us to such an extreme? There's a good reason for it. I'm going to take you there right now. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. And my apologies um, in your notes... I have it as chapter 3, so just notate that. So chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, and I love this passage because, and you're going to see it in the, in the ensuing cross-reference of 1 John. It's the story of Cain and Abel. And picking up in verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. In other words, the Lord was pleased with what Abel did, right? Then it says, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God did not find Cain's offering as satisfactory. 
some of us in church get frustrated that we never really truly experience relationship with God. And, and we want to we want to cite the fact that we went to church on Christmas and Easter. Um, or that we sat in the back row and attended for an hour and a half services this, this week. Or we sat in the front row and we attended services. But the rest of the week, we really did nothing to worship the Lord. I love this, this question that I've, I've proposed to people recently. You know, when, when we ask individuals, how would you describe your walk with Christ? How would you describe your relationship with Christ? That's how we term it a lot of times. I've started changing that. How would Jesus describe your relationship with him? You know, that's one of the key things in, in marital counseling is you think you're doing great, but wait till you hear from your partner what their perspective is. Do we really want to be healthy in our relationships? Do we think we have a healthy relationship with God? Cain thought he had a healthy relationship. And what happened from a wrong premise, blocked goals, unrealized expectations, fear, on and on, Let's look. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very what? Angry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Let me explain something that's tremendous here. You're looking at an individual who's struggling because of their own bad choice. They've held back from God when they wanted to pretend that their offering to God was something that would please him. And God comes to that individual. Brothers and sisters, that's what's so beautiful about being able to gather. That's why gathering is so important. And that we not forsake the gathering. God designed us for relationship. Which of you parents would just let your children skulk in their rooms if they were upset about something? I hope none of you. I hope eventually you go and you sit down and you ask them, what's wrong? Do you realize this is the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of all things? And he comes to Cain when Cain is struggling and he's saying, Cain, What's wrong? What's wrong? That should inspire you. That, that, that should make you want to draw near to a personal God who desires relationship with you. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? And here's, here's the insight that God gives right away. If you do well, will it not be accepted? Is that how it reads? That's not how it reads. If you do well, will you not be accepted? How much anger is out there in our lives that we just cannot shake because we have felt rejected in our life? And we hang on to that anger and we hang on to that bitterness. That's exactly what Cain's going through. Cain felt rejected by God. But see, it's God who determines what is good, what is righteous, what is holy, what the standard is. Amen? Right on? Preach it? Word? Thank you. 
And so God comes to Cain in his struggle, and he says, why are you so angry? Kind of a paradox, right? What is it, what is it that God doesn't know, yet he's posing a question? This shows his affection and his affinity for relationship and dialogue with Cain. And his instruction next is, if you do what is right, will it not go well for you? God makes a way. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain made a choice to disregard what God in his holy and righteous and benevolent approach to Cain was. He disregarded that instruction from God, and you know the rest, don't you? We may not be convicted murderers, but when we harbor anger in our heart because of a vast majority of different reasons, anger can lead to murder. We need look no further than the story of Cain and Abel. 1 John 3, 11 through 15 speaks to this again, and actually John, you know, millennia later, is referencing this story out of chapter 4 of Genesis let me read this to you, chapter 3, 11 through 15. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should, what? Love one another. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised. So, you know, in the Genesis account, we see that he murdered him because of his anger. Anger was a result of doing his own thing. Anger was a result of not pursuing God's standard and being, quote-unquote, his offering rejected by God. How many individuals do you know, or you may be sitting out there today, where you have been disappointed in God, you are angry at God, because he didn't meet your standard? Brothers and sisters, God's standard is good, it's righteous, it's holy. And if there were one amongst us, the entire human race, that could say that they were perfect, then we could hold that person's standard up against God's standard. But there isn't any of us that's perfect. Amen? And because we're not perfect, we trust in he who set the standard. Because it's right. Now, if I'm losing you a little bit, I just want you to think about when you got grounded, right? Because your parents were always wrong. They were always wrong for grounding you. They didn't understand. How did they get there? How did they get from point A to point B? You were a very misunderstood child, weren't you? I know I was. So much of my anger growing up had to do with the fact that I just chose to do my thing or my version of my parents' instruction. That doesn't get it done. It's like having a Ferrari and you purchase the Ferrari, you even put gas in it, but you sit in your garage pushing the pedals with no key. You say, wait, I got the car, I got the gas, but you left the key inside. You're never gonna experience the exhilaration of all that can be there and the blessing of, of going well, you know, 55 miles an hour. 
You're never going to experience the joy of all that if you don't do the complete effort. And that's the same standard that God has for us. Are you melting? Aren't you glad you're saved? That's the real message here. All right, I'm moving fast. Some of you are praying really hard. I can feel your prayers. Wrap it up, Pastor Jeremy. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. That is so paramount. That is so paramount. As a matter of fact, I want you to remember that, and I'm going to, I'm going to, Fast forward a little bit here to help us get to a point of understanding in totality as I'm bluffing because I have to sign back in because Windows Hello keeps looking for me and my glasses are dark so it doesn't recognize me. We're back. What causes anger amongst you? Anger is mostly based in focusing on self, right? Anger is mostly based in focusing on self. I don't know where I got it, but I, I have a abnormal, <laughs> my family will tell you I have an abnormal issue with spills. I think it stemmed from three children out at public eateries and watching the movie regarding Henry. All right, I don't know, something got into my psyche, but if something starts to topple, it's almost like I'm having a heart attack in real time. I have such an abnormal fear of a spill. So if you really wanna mess with me and we're sitting having dinner or a meal or, or anything, just fake a spill and you'll, you'll send me to an early grave. What scares me even worse, I've been experiencing lately because we moved out to Brentwood and I travel four now, I'll be traveling down four and all of a sudden I will be in need of an adult diaper because a Dodge Hellcat will travel by me and it sounds like Mach 18. And I don't know it's an actual car. I think the glory of the Lord and the second Trump has been, been, been blown and, and the rapture is coming and, and, I don't know how they make a vehicle that makes that kind of noise, but it puts fear into me. I grab the wheel, I start looking around. So much anger stems from fear. Anger stems from pride. Anger stems from black gold. In an interesting way, we I would be irresponsible not to share with you that there is a proper time to be angry. Jesus was angry at sin. There is a righteous anger that Jesus models for us. And it is okay to be angry at sin for the sake of sin. Not to look at those who are suffering in sin and be angry at them, but to be angry at sin and not tolerate it. You know one of the stories where Jesus demonstrated this righteous anger. What was it? There was a whip involved, there was violence involved, the clearing of the temple, and he did it twice. He did it twice. So we know that there are moments, and yet 
it's not okay in the midst of our suffering at someone else's hands to say it's okay for us to be angry at those individuals just because they're making sinful choices. Where can we take that example from? From the cross. After he had been spit on, after he had been reviled, after he had been scourged, after he had a thorn of crowns put on his head, after he had spikes put through his, his wrist and his feet, after he had been disrespected incredibly and taken on sin, he looked upon his accusers and his torturers, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Brothers and sisters, most of our anger stems from selfish reasons, from pride, from fear, or from shame and guilt. So many people have stopped gathering and worshiping the Lord because they make a choice like Cain. And then they want to blame God, and they're angry towards God when they have a misaligned view of who God is. Can I encourage you, encourage you, if you're here today, that is not who God is. I want you to remember the God who came and sat and talked with Cain. He wants to talk with you so that you get it right, so that you are not put in a position of being manipulated by anger. Sin is crouching at your door and it seeks to bless you. Is that what God said? It seeks to warm you. It seeks to plead. It seeks to devour you. That's what God said. So when God speaks, when God sets these standards of righteousness, he does so for our benefit. And when we drift out of that, just like Cain and just like so many others, if we harbor anger towards someone else, we need to go before the Lord and turn that over to him. We need to learn to love like Jesus loved. Amen? So let me give you some solutions to anger real quick, and I'll be done. God's solution to anger. Boy, that sounds like something you should write down, right? This is his solution. Trust me, this is not comprehensive. But if we were to get this, we would be doing very well. So think in these terms. Do what is right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You heard that from John. We're going to talk about how we can do that, how we can go that distance rather than just be stuck in rhetoric and let anger build up in us because of all the, the insipid rhetoric in our society today. How many people are spewing such angry comments, ideas, but they're doing nothing to demonstrate love and care and compassion. We are not going to solve anything, whether it be leadership, whether it be race relations, whether it be economic situations, none of that will be solved through anger. But John follows the pattern of Jesus and says, do you want to solve these issues? Love your neighbor. This is what we're going to practice during the month of Shocktober. Now you're saying, you may be visiting for the first time, you may not have been here last week, you're like, what is Shocktober? This is our outreach month. And if we do what the Lord has asked us to do, I believe that we will be shocked when November hits. We will be shocked when November hits. If the church truly responds and reacts 
with the gift of Abel, not the gift of Cain, that God will follow through with his promises and do what he said he will do. That's why we're calling it Shocktober. I have um, some things I'll share with you coming up uh, during our ministry moment in just a few minutes as to how you can practice that love your neighbor concept. God's solution to anger, do what is right, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, number one, we need to recognize where anger comes from. Anger is an unfiltered reaction to offensive events that wound the soul. Let me say that again. Anger is an unfiltered reaction to offensive events that wound the soul. So what do we do with that? Number one, contemplate the consequences of anger and its nature because it can lead to murder. Before you allow yourself anger, contemplate how it will pull your strings and change who you are and separate you from God and being a loving person. And then consider which path you want to go. Second, work towards reconciliation. Did you see that in the text? Jesus says what? Don't be angry. Anyone who's angry to that level is a murderer. And then he says, and if you have anything against a brother, or a brother has something against you, what are you supposed to do? Leave your offering on the altar. Brothers and sisters, this is reconciliation. And the church is filled with people that are harboring bitterness towards one another and anger. And this is why we're powerless. This is why we don't know God. This is why we don't experience the Spirit's work in our life is that we've given our hearts over. We have allowed anger to have a residence, a little apartment up here. God's saying, if you have an issue between yourself and someone, leave your sacrifice. I don't want your sacrifice. Go reconcile. So number two, reconcile. Number three, realign your goals. Cain needed to realign his goals, didn't he? So realign your goals. Be honest with yourself. Can you do that? It's so hard for me to be honest with myself. It's fun to go through these interactions every once in a while around a table with friends. And and you let someone who knows you say whatever they want about your character. Right? And, And just don't say a word. Just let them say what they want to share. And see if if they have the same assessment of who you are as how you see yourself. You want to avoid anger, be honest with who you are, because much of the time we hold shame, we hold guilt, we hold broken expectations, we hold rejection issues, and we just repress it. And we say what? We say, I'm fine. We use what what we term in our household the F word. I'm fine. There's a lot of F words we don't allow in my house. That's one of them. So be honest with yourself. Trust, praise, and remember who Jesus is. If we can't trust what Jesus has laid out as a pattern for life and godliness, then we have sacrificed all that what God has has done, all that God has made, and all the goodness of God. Either he is trustworthy, or we should just walk away from it and just live in the filth and the darkness. But don't play the middle ground because you only hurt yourself. I only hurt myself. Trust in who Jesus is, right? Because maybe part of Cain's problem was, well, if I give him the best of my sacrifice, 
I'm not going to come out with as much money. I'm not going to come out with as much gain. I'm not going to, and, and I have bills to pay. I, I have problems with, with doing this or doing this or doing, because I have to depend on myself. What a beautiful thing when we do what is right before the Lord and he provides for us. Amen. <laughs> but that's dangerous living. That's exciting living. That's living that allows you to avoid shame, guilt. It lets you embrace the beauty of who Jesus is, and it forms relationship with the one who wants to invest in you. Praise him when you see those things happen in your life. Praise him. The opposite of anger is praise. If your voice is filled with praise, you're not going to be able to harbor anger. Another big challenge is remember, see, there's praise right there. It's fantastic praise. Remember what God has done for you. When you get into those times where you start to get angry because of a situation or circumstance of that day, remember how he has carried you from before. That always helps me dissipate that anger and that feeling of God's not paying attention. God doesn't care. Right? Why is it I'm in this position again and again? It's because I don't remember. The disciples didn't remember who was in the back of the boat. And they hit the panic switch. And they were angry because they were fearful. We're going to die out here. Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? How many times have we said those things? Stop tolerating anger and stop promoting anger. If you want to fix the problem, stop tolerating anger and stop promoting it. Lastly, love, peace. Romans 12, 14 through 21 speaks to this in, in a great way. I don't have time to read it, but it speaks with a, a, a mighty sense of how we can translate and move forward when our circumstances are not peaceful. What is God's expectation for us which will create peace, which will create love, which will keep us from those moments of anger or mitigate those moments of anger. Anger on display. What a timely sermon, right? What were you doing Tuesday night? You know, I didn't even have to tune into it. I just, my, my social media started blowing up and all I had to do was read the posts about how humiliating both leaders acted. You know what's fascinating about that, brothers and sisters? They were coached to do that. We get what we deserve. When we propagate anger, when we propagate selfishness, when we propagate our own personal view, we polarize against others. When we stop loving our neighbor. You know, the first one that would have started loving their neighbor on that stage would have won hands down. Amen? The first one that would have started talking in terms of love and compassion. But you know what? They're coached. If you want to win, you've got to be as nasty as you possibly can be. And it was on display for the entire world. And we, the United States of America, have created that. Don't pass the buck to two individuals standing on a stage Tuesday night. We created it. And we will continue to create it if we don't start doing something different and saying that we're only gonna honor those 
that act in love and kindness. Ouch. You all got very serious again. Protest, economy, politics, music, media, self, family. How has anger been on display this week? Well, let me answer, since I gave you that list of things, and I am closing now, since I gave you that list of things, of what to do in the face of anger, let me just encourage you in a very specific way. We've seen anger on display. Jesus informs us, John informs us, the scriptures inform us the way to counter anger is very simple. Love your neighbor. You and I cannot love our neighbor adequately and Christ-like if we're about our own agendas and we're selfish and on and on. Let go of the bitterness in your life. Hold tightly to God's righteous standard. And do what is right. You heard the advice from God himself, right? Cain, if you just do what is right, it'll go well for you. Let me close in prayer. And this morning, I just want to send a special invitation to everyone sitting here or that might be viewing by saying the following. Never before in my lifetime have I seen such a need for peace and hope and love. And either Jesus is that answer or we hold to a lie. If you do not as of yet have that relationship with God, but you need that peace, you want that peace, and you have seen it demonstrated around you because of Christ. Maybe you haven't even seen it demonstrated, but maybe inside your own life, you're desperately looking for that answer. You just heard from Scripture the approach and the character of God. He is not about anger. He is about healing. He is about peace. He is about loving. And he wants that relationship with you. And maybe in this very moment, he's coming to you like he came to Cain. And maybe he's saying, do you want relationship with me? And I encourage each of you to contemplate that question because you may not get tomorrow. Many people play that, that gambit. Well, I'll live my life until I get to the last few seconds, and then I'll ask God, why would you choose the ugliness of the world and to live that way when God sets you free, when God truly sets you free? So let me pray over you, and then we're going to have Brad come and, uh, and pray over this time and give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. And if you need to get water, you can get up and grab a water and then go back to your seats and uh, we'll continue. How are you guys doing? Are you melting? Would you rather be inside and have limited limitations and have to wear masks the entire time and not sing? You can raise your hand. Hey, I don't want to block anybody's expectations. You guys can, uh, don't wear swimsuits next week. Okay, we do have, Brad's really close. He's got shorts and sandals. But, uh, but please, no swimsuits, but please dress appropriately for, for the heat. Watch that index. I'll send you out messages at, on, on Saturday to let you know what we're looking at. But praise God that we have clear. Who knew 73 degrees would be boiling hot? 
So let me pray over you and to refocus back. The most important thing right now is to consider how does God see you? And what changes do you need to make? Is it reconciliation with God? Is it reconciliation with those around you? Is it letting go of bitterness and strife? Is it seeing yourself the way God sees yourself or sees you? Let me pray over you. Father, thank you for your words of instruction and wisdom today. Let us put aside every um, sin that so easily entangles us. And Father, this morning as we move forward in a world that is so bitter, so angry, so frustrated, so fearful, it is a blessing to live in the confidence of your grace. This morning as I pray that if there is anybody here today, whether you're, you're viewing or whether you're here in the sun, if there is anybody here that wants that relationship with God that provides peace, that provides love, that frees us from anger, and you have not yet committed your life to the Lord, but you want that. You're not sure what it means, but you want that. I'm going to ask if you, and, and everybody's still got their eyes closed and praying, but I'm going to ask if I can recognize um, and pray over you, if that's you today. Is there anybody here today that desires that relationship with God? Just raise your hand and I can pray over you. Father, thank you for the message of hope and faith. We commit our service to you in moving forward. Let us respond with hearts of praise. Amen.